0: Be sure to follow Send Me To Sleep on your preferred podcast
1: player, so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me To Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help. Calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight I'll be reading chapters 8 and 9 of The Phantom of the Opera
0: by Gaston LaRue. If you've been enjoying this podcast over the last few years, I'd first like to extend a genuine thanks to you for listening. It's your support that's meant the podcast could keep going all this time, and I can't express how much I truly appreciate it. And with that, if you'd like to help support the podcast further, and get access to hundreds of unreleased episodes, please consider signing up to Send Me to Sleep Premium. We've got stories such as The Wizard of Oz, Around the World in 80 Days, Sherlock Holmes, and much more. Pricing starts at just $6 a month. To find out more, please visit sendmetosleep.com. Either way, thanks so much for listening, and I hope this podcast continues to help you
1: on your journey to better sleep. So, without further ado, let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 8 The Mysterious Brougham That tragic evening was bad for everybody.
0: Carlotta fell ill. As for Christine Day, she disappeared after the performance. A fortnight elapsed during which she was seen neither at the opera nor outside. Raoul, of course, was the first to be astonished at the prima donna's absence. He wrote to her at Mademoiselle Valerius's flat and received no reply. His grief increased and he ended by being seriously alarmed at never seeing her name on the programme. Faust was playing without her. One afternoon he went to the manager's office to ask the reason of Christine's disappearance. He found them both looking extremely worried. Their own friends did not recognize them. They had lost all their gaiety and spirits. They were seen crossing the stage with hanging heads. Careworn brows, pale cheeks, as though pursued by some abominable thought or a prey to some persistent sport of fate. The fall of the chandelier had involved them in no little responsibility, but it was difficult to make them speak about it. The inquest had ended in a verdict of accidental death caused by the wear and tear of the chains by which the chandelier was hung from the ceiling, but it was the duty of both the old and the new managers to have discovered this wear and tear and to have remedied it in time and I feel bound to say that Monsieur Richard and Moncharmin at this time appeared so changed, so absent-minded, so mysterious, so incomprehensible, that many of the subscribers thought that some event even more horrible than the fall of the chandelier must have affected their state of mind. In their daily intercourse, they showed themselves very impatient, except, "'with Mademoiselle Giry, who had been reinstated in her functions. "'And their reception of the Vicomte de Chagny, "'when he came to ask about Christine, was anything but cordial. "'They merely told him that she was taking a holiday. "'He asked how long the holiday was, and they replied curtly that it was for an unlimited period, as Mademoiselle Day had requested leave of absence for reasons of health. Then she is ill, he cried. What is the matter with her?
1: We don't know. Didn't you send the doctor of the opera to see her? No, she did not ask for him. And As we trust her, we took her word.
0: Raoul left the building a prey to the gloomiest thoughts. He resolved, come what may, to go and inquire of Mama Valerius. He remembered the strong phrases in Christine's letter, forbidding him to make any attempt to see her. But what he had seen at Peros what he had heard behind the dressing room door. His conversation with Christine at the edge of the moor made him suspect some machination, which, devilish though it might be, was none the less human. The girl's highly strung imagination, her affectionate and credulous mind, the primitive education which had surrounded her childhood with a circle of legends, the constant brooding over her dead father, and, above all, the state of sublime ecstasy into which music threw her from the moment that this art was made manifest to her in certain exceptional conditions, as in the churchyard at Peros, all this seemed to him to constitute a moral ground only too favourable for the malevolent designs of some mysterious and unscrupulous person. Of whom was Christine Day the victim? This was the very reasonable question which Raoul put to himself as he hurried off to Mamma Valerius. He trembled as he rang at the little flat in Rue Notre-Dame des Victorias. The door was opened by the maid, who he had seen coming out of Christine's dressing room one evening. He asked if he could speak to Madame Valerius. He was told that she was ill in bed and was not receiving visitors. Take in my card, please, he said. The maid soon returned and showed him into a small and scantily furnished drawing-room, in which portraits of Professor Valerius and old day hung on opposite walls. Madame begs Monsieur le Vicomte to excuse her, said the servant. She can only see him in her bedroom, because she can no longer stand on her poor legs. Five minutes later, Raoul was ushered into a lit room where he at once recognised the good, kind face of Christine's benefactress in the semi-darkness of an alcove. Mama Valerius's hair was now quite white, but her eyes had grown no older. Never, on the contrary, had their expression been so bright so pure, so childlike. Monsieur de Chagny, she cried gaily, putting out both her hands to her visitor. Ah, it's heaven that sends you here. We can talk of her. This last sentence sounded very gloomily in the young man's ears. He at once asked, Madame, where is
1: Christine? And the old lady replied calmly, She is with her good genius. What good genius? exclaimed poor Raoul. Why, the angel of music. The viscount dropped into a chair. Really? Christine was with the
0: angel of music? And there lay Mama Valerius in bed. "'smiling to him and putting her finger to her lips "'to warn him to be silent, and she added, "'You must not tell anybody. "'You can rely on me,' said Raoul. "'He hardly knew what he was saying, "'for his ideas about Christine, already greatly confused, "'were becoming more and more entangled.' And it seemed as if everything was beginning to turn around him, around the room, around that extraordinary good lady with the white hair and the forget-me-not eyes. I know, I know I can, she said with a happy laugh. But why don't you come near me, as you used to do when you were a little boy? Give me your hands as when you brought me to the story of Little Lot, which Daddy Day had
1: told you. I am very fond of you, Monsieur Raoul, you know, and so is Christine too. She is fond of me, sighed the young man. He found
0: a difficulty in collecting his thoughts and bringing them to bear on Mama Valerius's good genius. On the angel of music of whom Christine had spoken to him so strangely, on the death's head which he had seen in a sort of nightmare on the high altar at Perros, and also on the opera ghost whose fame had come to his ears one evening when he was standing behind the scenes within hearing of a group of scene-shifters who were repeating the ghastly description which the hanged man, Joseph Bouquet, had given of the ghost before his mysterious
1: death. He asked in a low voice, What makes you think that Christine is fond of me, madame? She used to speak of you every day. Really? And what did she tell you? She told me that
0: you had made her a proposal. And the good old lady began laughing wholeheartedly. Raoul sprang from his chair, flushing to the temples, suffering agonies. What's this? Where are you going? Sit down again at once, will you? Do you think I will let you go like that? If you're angry with me for laughing, I beg your pardon, after all. What has happened isn't your fault,
1: didn't you know? Did you think that Christine was free? Is Christine engaged to be married? The
0: wretched Raoul asked in a choking voice. Why no, why no? You know as well as I do that Christine couldn't marry even if she wanted to. But I don't know anything about it. And why can't
1: Christine marry? Because of the Angel of Music, of course. I don't follow. Yes, he forbids her to. He forbids her to?
0: The Angel of Music forbids her to marry? Oh,
1: he forbids her without forbidding her. It's like this, he tells her that, if she got married, she would never hear him again, that's all, and that
0: he would go away forever. So, you understand, she can't let the angel of music go, it's quite natural.
1: Yes, yes, echoed Raoul submissively, it's quite natural. Besides,
0: I thought Christine had told you all that when she met you at Peros,
1: where she went with her good genius. Oh, she went to Peros with her good genius, did she?
0: That is to say, he arranged to meet her down there, in Peros Churchyard, at Day's grave. He promised to play her the resurrection of Lazarus. On her father's violin, Raoul de Chagny rose and, with an authoritative air, pronounced these peremptory words. Madame, you will have the goodness to tell me where that genius lives. The old lady did
1: not seem surprised at this indiscreet command. She raised her eyes and said, in heaven,
0: such simplicity baffled him. He did not know what to say in the presence of this candid and perfect faith in a genius who came down nightly from heaven to haunt the dressing rooms at the opera. He now realized the possible state of mind of a girl brought up between a superstitious fiddler and a visionary old lady, and he shuddered when he thought of the consequences of it all. Is Christine still a good girl? he asked suddenly, in spite of himself. I swear it, as I hope to be saved, exclaimed the old woman, who, this time, seemed to be incensed. And if you doubt it, sir, I don't know what you are here for. Raoul tore at his gloves. How long has she known this genius? About three months. Yes, it's quite three months since he began to give her lessons. The viscount drew up his arms with a gesture of despair. The genius gives her lessons. And where, pray? Now that she has gone away with him, I can't say, but up to a fortnight ago, it was in Christine's dressing room. It would be impossible in this little flat. The whole house would hear them, whereas at the opera, at eight o'clock in the morning, there is no one about. Do you see?
1: Yes, I see, I see cried the Viscount, and he hurriedly took leave of
0: Madame Valerius, who asked herself if the young nobleman was not a little off his head. He walked home to his brother's house in a pitiful state. He could have struck himself, banged his head against the walls, to think that he had believed in her innocence. In her purity,
1: the angel of music, he knew him now, he saw him. It was beyond a doubt some
0: unspeakable tenor, a good-looking jackanapes who mouthed and simpered as he sang. He thought himself as absurd and as wretched as he could be. Oh, what a miserable little insignificant, silly young man was Monsieur le Vicomte de Chagny, thought Raoul furiously, and she was a bold and damnable sly creature. His brother was waiting for him, and Raoul fell into his arms like a child. The Count consoled him, without asking for explanations and Raoul would certainly have long hesitated before telling him the story of the Angel of Music. His brother suggested taking him out to dinner. Overcome as he was with despair, Raoul would probably have refused any invitation that evening, if the Count had not, as an inducement, told him that the lady of his thoughts had been seen, the night before, in company of the other sex in the boys. At first, the viscount refused to believe, but he received such exact details that he ceased protesting. She had been seen, it appeared, driving in Brougham with the window down. She seemed to be slowly taking in the icy night air. There was a glorious moon shining. She was recognized beyond a doubt. As for her companion, only his shadowy outline was distinguished leaning back in the dark. The carriage was going at a walking pace in a lonely drive behind the grandstand at Longchamp. Raoul dressed in frantic haste prepared to forget his distress by flinging himself, as people say, into the vortex of pleasure. Alas, he was a very sorry guest, and, leaving his brother early, found himself, by ten o'clock in the evening, in a cab behind the Longchamp racecourse. It was bitterly cold. The road seemed deserted and very bright under the moonlight. He told the driver to wait for him patiently at the corner of a near turning, and, hiding himself as well as he could, stood stamping his feet to keep warm. He had been indulging in this healthy exercise for half an hour or so, when a carriage turned the corner of the road and came quietly in his direction, at a walking pace. As it approached, he saw that a woman was leaning her head from the window, and suddenly
1: the moon shed a pale gleam over her features. Christine The sacred name of
0: his love had sprung from his heart and lips he could not keep it back, he would have given anything to withdraw it, for that name, proclaimed in the stillness of the night, had acted as though it were the preconcerted signal for a furious rush on the part of the whole turnout, which dashed past him before he could put into execution his plan of leaping at the horse's head. The carriage window had been closed and the girl's face had disappeared, and the brougham behind which he was now running was no more than a black spot on the
1: white road. He called out again, Christine. No reply, and he stopped in the midst of the silence. With a lacklustre eye, he stared
0: down that cold, desolate road and into the pale, dead night. Nothing was colder than his heart, nothing half so dead. He had loved an angel, and now he despised a woman. Raoul, how that little fairy of the North had trifled with you! Was it really, was it really necessary to have so fresh and young a face, a forehead so shy and always ready to cover itself with pink blush of modesty in order to pass in the lonely night, in a carriage and pair, accompanied by a mysterious lover. Surely there should be some limit to hypocrisy and lying. She had passed without answering his cry and he was thinking of dying, and he was twenty years old. His valet found him in the morning, sitting on his bed. He had not undressed, and the servant feared, at the sight of his face, that some disaster had occurred. Raoul snatched his letters from the man's hand. He had recognized Christine's paper and handwriting.
1: She said, Dear, go to the masked ball at the opera on the night after tomorrow. At twelve
0: o'clock, be in the little room behind the chimney place of the big crush room. Stand near the door that leads to the rotunda. Don't mention this appointment to anyone on earth. Wear a white domino and be carefully
1: masked. As you love me, do not let yourself be recognized. Christine Chapter 9 At the Masked Ball The envelope was covered
0: with mud and unstamped. It bore the words To be handed to Monsieur Le Vicomte Raoul de Chagny with the address in pencil. It must have been flung out in the hope that a passer-by would pick up the note and deliver it, which was what happened. The note had been picked up on the pavement of the Place de l'Opera. Raoul read it over and over again with fevered eyes. No more was needed to revive his hope. The sombre picture which had been for a moment imagined of Christine forgetting her duty to herself made way for his original conception of an unfortunate, innocent child, the victim of imprudence and exaggerated sensibility. To what extent, at this time, was she really a victim? Whose prisoner was she? Into what whirlpool had she been dragged? He asked himself these questions with a cruel anguish, thrown at the thought of a lying and deceitful Christine. What had happened? What influence had she undergone? What monster had carried her off, and by what means?
1: By what means indeed, but that of music. He knew Christine's story. After her
0: father's death, she acquired a distaste of everything in life, including her art. She went through the conservatoire like a poor, soulless singing machine, and, suddenly, she awoke as though through the intervention of God. The angel of music appeared upon the scene. She sang Margarita in Faust and triumphed. The Angel of Music For three months the Angel of Music had been giving Christine lessons. Ah, he was a punctual singing master, and now he was taking her for drives in the boys. Raoul's fingers clutched at his flesh above his jealous heart. In his inexperience, he now asked himself with terror what game the girl was playing. Up to what point could an opera singer make a fool of a good-natured young man quite new to love? Oh, misery! Thus did Raoul's thoughts fly from one extreme to the other. He no longer knew whether to pity Christine or to curse her and he pitied and cursed her turn and turn about. At all events, he bought a white domino. The hour of the appointment came at last, with his face in a mask, trimmed with long, thick lace, looking like a periot in his white wrap. The viscount thought to himself very ridiculous, Men of the world do not go to the opera ball in fancy dress, it was absurd. One thought, however, consoled the viscount, he would certainly never be recognised. This ball was an exceptional affair, given some time before Tide, in honour of the anniversary of the birth of a famous draftsman and it was expected to be much gayer, noisier, more bohemian than the ordinary masked ball. Numbers of artists had arranged to go, accompanied by a whole cohort of models and pupils, who, by midnight, began to create a tremendous din. Raoul climbed the grand staircase at five minutes to twelve, did not linger to look at the motley-dressed displayed all the way up the marble steps of the richest setting in the world, allowed no facetious mask to draw him into war of wits, replied to no jests and shook off the bold familiarity of a number of couples who had already become a trifle too gay. Crossing the big crush room and escaping from a mad whirl of dancers in which he was caught for a moment, he at last entered the room mentioned in Christine's letter. He found it crammed, for this small space was the point where all those who were going to supper in the rotunda crossed those who were returning from taking a glass of champagne. The fun. Here waxed fast and furious, Raoul leaned against a doorpost and waited. He did not wait long. A black domino passed and gave a quick squeeze to the tips of his fingers. He
1: understood that it was she and followed her. "Is that you, Christine?" he asked between his teeth. The
0: black domino turned round promptly. And raised her finger to her lips. No doubt to warn him not to mention her name again. Raoul continued to follow her in silence. He was afraid of losing her, after meeting her again in such strange circumstances. His grudge against her was gone. He no longer doubted that she had nothing to reproach herself with however peculiar and inexplicable her conduct might seem. He was ready to make any display of clemency, forgiveness or cowardice. He was in love, and, no doubt, he would soon receive a very natural explanation of her curious absence. The black domino turned back from time to time, to see if the white domino was still following. As Raoul once more passed through the great crush room, this time in the wake of his guide, he could not help noticing a group crowding round a person whose disguise, eccentric air and gruesome appearance were causing a sensation. It was a man dressed all in scarlet, with a huge hat, and feathers on the top of a wonderful death's head. From his shoulders hung an immense red velvet cloak, which trailed along the floor like a king's train, and on this cloak was embroidered in gold letters, which everyone read and repeated
1: aloud, Don't touch me, I am Red Death stalking abroad. Then one, great daring, did try to touch him, but a skeleton hand
0: shot out of a crimson sleeve and violently seized the rash one's wrist, and he, feeling the clutch of the knuckle bones, the furious grasp of death, uttered a cry of pain and terror. When Red Death released him at last, he ran away, like a very madman, pursued by the jeers of the bystanders. It was at this moment that Raoul passed in front of the funereal masquerader, who had just happened to turn in his direction, and he nearly
1: exclaimed, the death's head of Peros He had recognised him, he wanted to dart forward,
0: forgetting Christine. But the black domino, who also seemed a prey to some strange excitement, caught him by the arm and dragged him from the crush room, far from the mad crowd through which Red Death was stalking. The black domino kept on turning back and, apparently, on two occasions, saw something that startled her, for she hurried her pace and Raoul's as though they were being pursued. They went up two floors. Here, the stairs and corridors were almost deserted. The black domino opened the door of a private box, and beckoned to the white domino to follow her. Then Christine, whom he recognized by the sound of her voice, closed the door behind them, and warned him in a whisper, to remain at the back of the box and on no account to show himself. Raoul took off his mask. Christine kept hers on, and when Raoul was about to ask her to remove it, he was surprised to see her put her ear to the partition and listen eagerly for a sound outside. Then she opened the door ajar looked out into the corridor and, in a low voice, said,
1: He must have gone up higher. Suddenly she exclaimed, He is coming down again. She tried to close the door, but Raoul prevented her, for he had
0: seen, on the top step of the staircase that led to the floor above,
1: a red foot, followed by another. And slowly, majestically, the whole scarlet dress of red death met his eyes, and he once more saw the death's head of Peros Curic. It's he, he exclaimed, this time he shall not
0: escape me. But Christine had slammed the door at the moment when Raoul was at the point of rushing out. He tried to push her aside. Whom do you mean by he? she asked in a changed voice. Who shall not escape you? Raoul tried to overcome the girl's resistance by force, but she repelled him with great strength which he would not have suspected in her. He understood,
1: or thought he understood, and at once... "'lost his temper. "'Who?' he repeated angrily.
0: "'Why, he the man who hides behind that hideous mask of death, "'the evil genius of the churchyard at
1: Peros. "'Red death. "'In a word, madame, your friend, your angel of music. "'But I
0: shall snatch off his mask.' As I shall snatch off my own, and this time we shall look at each other in the face, he and I, with no veil and no lies between us, and I shall know whom you love and who loves you. He burst into a mad laugh, while Christine gave a disconsolate moan behind her velvet mask. With a tragic gesture, She flung out her two arms, which fixed a barrier of white flesh against the door.
1: In the name of our love, Raoul, you shall not pass. He stopped. What had she said? In the name of their love. Never before had she confessed
0: that she loved him, and yet she had had opportunities enough. Pooh. Her only object was to gain a few seconds. She wished to give the Red Death time to escape, and in accents of childish hatred, he said, You lie, madame, for you do not love me, and you have never loved me. What a poor fellow I must be to let you mock and flout me as you have done. Why did you give me every reason for hope? Peros, for honest hope, Madame, for I am an honest man, and I believe you to be an honest
1: woman when your only intention was to deceive me. Alas, you have deceived us all. You have
0: taken a shameful advantage of the candid affection of your benefactress herself, who continues to believe in your sincerity while you go about the opera ball with red death. I despise you. And he burst into tears. She allowed him to insult her. She thought of but one thing, to keep him from leaving the box. You will beg my pardon, one day, for all those ugly words, Raoul.
1: And when you do, I shall forgive you. He shook his head. No, no, you will have driven
0: me mad when I think that I had only one object in life, to give my name to an opera wench. Raoul, how can you? I shall die of shame. No, dear, live, said Christine's grave and changed
1: voice. And goodbye, goodbye, Raoul. The boy stepped forward, staggered as he went. He
0: risked one more sarcasm. Oh, you must let me come and applaud you from time to time. I shall never sing again, Raoul. Really, he replied, still more satirically. So he is taking you off the stage.
1: I congratulate you but we shall meet in the boys, one of these evenings. Not in the boys,
0: nor anywhere else, Raoul. You shall not see me again. May one ask at least to what darkness you are returning, for what hell are you leaving, mysterious lady, or for what paradise? I came to tell you, dear, but I can't tell you now. You would not believe me. You have lost faith in me, Raoul. It is finished. She spoke in such a despairing voice that the lad began to feel remorse for his cruelty. But look here, he cried, can't you tell me what all this means? You are free. There is no one to interfere with you. You go about Paris. You put on a domino to come to the ball. Why do you not go home? What have you been doing this past fortnight? What is this tale about the angel of music which you have been telling Mama Valerius? Someone may have taken you in, played upon your innocence. I was a witness of it myself at Peros but you know what to believe now. You seem to me quite sensible, Christine. You know what you are doing, and meanwhile Mama Valerius lies waiting for you at home and appealing to your good genius. Explain yourself, Christine, I beg of you. Anyone might have been deceived as I was. What is this farce? Christine simply took off her mask and said, Dear, it is a tragedy. Raoul now saw her face and could not restrain an exclamation of surprise and terror. The fresh complexion of former days was gone. A mortal pallor covered those features, which he had known so charming, so gentle. And sorrow had followed them with pitiless lines, and traced dark and unspeakably sad shadows under her eyes, my dearest,
1: my dearest, he moaned, holding out his arms. You promised to forgive me, perhaps some day, perhaps she said, resuming her mask,
0: and she went away, forbidding him. "'with a gesture to follow her. "'He tried to disobey her, "'but she turned round "'and repeated her gesture of farewell "'with such authority "'that he dared not move a step. "'He watched her till she was out of sight. "'Then he also went down among the crowd, "'hardly knowing what he was doing, "'with throbbing temples and an aching heart, "'and, As he crossed the dancing floor, he asked if anybody had seen Red Death. Yes, everyone had seen Red Death, but Raoul could not find him, and at two o'clock in the morning, he turned down the passage behind the scenes that led to Christine Day's dressing room.
1: His footsteps took him to that room where he had first known suffering. He tapped at the door.
0: There was no answer. He entered, as he had entered when he looked everywhere for the man's voice. The room was empty. A gas jet was burning, turned down low. He saw some writing paper on a little desk. He thought of writing to Christine, but he heard steps in the passage. He had only time to hide in the inner room, which was separated from the dressing room by a curtain. Christine entered, took off her mask with a weary movement, and flung it on the table. She sighed and let her pretty head fall into her two hands. What was she
1: thinking of, of Raoul? No, for Raoul heard her murmur, poor Eric. At first, he thought he must be mistaken. To begin with, he was
0: persuaded that, if anyone was to be pitied, it was he, Raoul. It would have been quite natural if she had said, poor Raoul after what had happened between them. But shaking her head, she repeated, Poor Eric. What had this Eric to do with Christine's sigh, and why was she pitying Eric when Raoul was so unhappy? Christine began to write, deliberately, calmly, and so placidly, that Raoul, who was still trembling from the effect of the tragedy that separated them was painfully impressed.
1: What coolness, he said to himself. She wrote on, filling two, three, four sheets. Suddenly, she raised her head and hid the
0: sheets in her bodice. She seemed to be listening. Raoul also listened. Whence came that strange sound? distant rhythm. A faint singing seemed to issue from the walls. Yes, it was though the walls themselves were singing. The song became plainer. The words were now distinguishable. He heard a voice, a very beautiful,
1: very soft, very captivating voice. But for all its softness, it remained a male voice.
0: The voice came nearer and nearer. It came through the wall. It approached, and now the voice was in the room, in front of Christine. Christine rose and addressed the voice
1: as though speaking to someone. Here I am, Eric, she said. I am ready, but you are late. Raoul, peeping from behind the curtain, could not
0: believe his eyes, which showed him nothing. Christine's face lit up. A smile of happiness appeared upon her bloodless lips, a smile like that of sick people when they received the first hope of recovery. The voice without a body went on singing, and certainly Raoul had never in his life heard anything more absolutely and heroically sweet, more gloriously insidious, more delicate, more powerful, in short, more irresistibly triumphant. He listened to it in a fever, and he now began to understand how Christine Day was able to appear one evening before the stupefied audience, with accents of beauty hitherto unknown of a superhuman exaltation while doubtless still under the influence of the mysterious and invisible master. The voice was singing the wedding night song from Romeo and Juliet. Raoul saw Christine stretch out her arms to the voice as she had done in Peros Churchyard to the invisible violin playing the resurrection of Lazarus and nothing could describe the passion with which the voice sang, Fate links thee to me for ever and a day. The strains went through Raoul's heart, struggling against the charm that seemed to deprive him of all his will and all his energy, and of almost all his lucidity at the moment when he needed the most. He succeeded in drawing back the curtain that hid him, and he walked to where Christine stood. She herself was moving to the back of the room, the whole wall of which was occupied by a great mirror that reflected her image,
1: but not his, for he was just behind her and entirely covered by her. Fate links thee to me for ever and a day. Christine
0: walked towards her image in the glass, and the image came towards
1: her. The two Christines, the real one and the reflection, ended by touching, and
0: Raoul put out his arm to clasp the two in one embrace. But, by a sort of dazzling miracle that sent him staggering, Raoul was suddenly flung back, while an icy blast swept over his face. He saw not two, but four, eight, twenty Christines spinning round him, laughing at him and fleeing so swiftly that he could not touch one of them. At last, everything stood still again, and he saw himself in the glass.
1: But Christine had disappeared. He rushed up to the glass. He struck the walls. Nobody.
0: And meanwhile, the room still echoed with a distant,
1: passionate singing. Fate links thee to me for ever and a day. Which way, which way had Christine gone? Which way would she return?
0: Would she return? Alas, had she not declared to him that everything was finished, and was the voice
1: not repeating, Fate links thee to me for ever and a day. To me? To whom? Then, worn out, beaten, empty-brained,
0: he sat down on the chair which Christine had just left. Like her, he let his head fall into his hands. When he raised it, the tears were streaming down his young cheeks. Real, heavy tears, like those which jealous children shed. Tears that wept for a sorrow which was in no way fanciful, but which is common to all lovers on earth, and which he expressed aloud.
1: "'Who is this Eric?' he said.